sometimes people, I'm not saying boring book, sometimes people start off by saying, it's a pleasure to be here. And they just, it really is. I mean it sincerely. I have not had an opportunity to speak to a group of women uh, in a seminary for quite a long time. And the fact that I get to have yeah, Mrs. Moscow Yafa in the, in the audience is, is icing on the cake. Let me tell you what I'm going to do so you have a little bit of an idea. Uh, in the first three hours, come on, I'm getting my best stuff here. Ladies, wake up. Okay, thank you. Pity laugh, thank you. Um, in the first few minutes, literally just the first few minutes, I'm going to just give you a brief overview why we're fasting today, because we're fasting. Um, and it actually is a wonderful segue into the main topic. The main topic today is going to I'll tell you called From Anger to Serenity. I'll explain what that's all about. In the last uh, 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to introduce a book that I wrote uh, that is literally perfect for this week. For anyone who's interested. Okay. Why are we fasting today? So people know why we fast on some of the big fasts. Obviously, obviously Yom Kippur, Tisha B'Av, destruction of the first and second Beit HaMikdash. Even many know Shiva Sarbet Tammuz, Asarabit Tevet, all having to do with destruction of Beit HaMikdash or leading up to it. One for today, Tzongi Balyah, is a little bit unknown. Um, some people think some man in Gedalia made it up because we should fast after eating for two days of Rosh Hashanah, and I could fully agree with that. Um, but the, the real reason is, um, for those of you who've ever learned Sefer Melachim, now I'm going to apologize in advance, I, since I don't know my audience, I try to translate everything so I never know what someone does and doesn't know. So the Book of Kings, Sefer Melachim, the latter part of the book deals with the Jews going into exile. And growing up, um, I always pictured that some bad guys came and threw all the Jews out of Israel. That's how it went. That's not how it went. It went over a period of about 130 years. And after the, a couple of tribes were sent into exile, and then a few more tribes in the northern kingdom, then the area of Jerusalem was pretty much taken and either pillaged, and then the Jews were taken to exile. And that was basically the end of the Jewish commonwealth uh, at that point, back in the time of the first Beit HaMikdash. But there was a last gasp. And that last gasp was when the, the, uh, the Roman governor uh, leader appointed a man named Gedalia ben Achitam to be a governor within the small area of Judea. There are a handful of Jews that were left. And he said, you know, as long as we have Jews, if you know the expression, if already we have something, let's do something with it. And he said, let's establish a governor uh, in this area. Some of the Jews who had been in exile, but not to, Babel, to, to Rome or anything else of that nature, let's say Moab and others start hearing, wait, we have some more Jews back in Judea, we're gonna go. So they start coming in, not big numbers whatsoever. And we're talking really the very, almost the very end of the book of, of Sefer Malachim. And some guy named Yishmael ben Netanyahu. Now just by the name, it should already have sent up a red flag. Who names their kid? I hope no one here has a brother named Yishmael. Huh? Why would you name it? I don't know. But anyways, his name is Yishmael ben Netanyahu. And some people report to Gedalia and say, hey, there's this guy. He's really angry at you. He's jealous of you. He feels he's supposed to be the guy. And he's coming for you. He's going to kill you. <sighs> Come on, give me a break. My fellow Jew is going to kill me. So he comes. So he, gets, so he invites Ishmael. But he invites where he breaks. He just kind of breaks in. Ishmael ben, ben Netanyahu comes to come with Rosh Hashanah to Gedalia's home. And as we know, kills him. He kills him and he kills almost every other Jew that's around. It was a bloodbath. They said, again, it's a bit of a guzmar, an exaggeration, that the streets are running with blood, Jewish blood. Oh, wow. This was the last gasp of the Jewish commonwealth, which means that, yes, that the, the, they were sent into Galut exile. They were sent again in another part. Another part was sent. The destruction of Beit Dash. And there were still some Jews left. They tried to bring someone in to help run the, the, what was there and could have been something. And we are our own worst enemy. There's a pasuk in Navi that says, that your own destruction is going to come from those who are within you. We have enemies. We have plenty of enemies around us. Just look at the neighborhood we live in. I don't mean Harnof. Uh, you know, in Israel. We're in a bad neighborhood. Um, but unfortunately, historically, that some of our worst enemies have come from within. And that all came, a lot of this, this, this event of Gedalia ben Achikam happened as a result of two things, jealousy and anger. Now, they sound, they are two different emotions, but I claim that actually jealousy is the root of jealousy is anger. You're, who are you angry at? You're angry at God, whether you realize or not, because you're saying, God, you made a mistake. I was supposed to have that. 
That was my job. That was my position. That was my wife. That was my child. That was, I should have had that money. I should have won. And it leads that this, this sense of anger to jealousy, in this case, rage, and the murder of Gedalia Benachikhan. Today, what I want to do, I'm going to pass, not yet, I'm going to pick in a couple of minutes, I'm going to pass out a, a source sheet. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of sources. And if you have an issue with Hebrew, don't worry about it. I read and translate everything. Um, it starts out with a very personal story. And you'll see why I chose not only do I like to speak about this topic, but Dafka here, um, because I know that Yafa teaches the Silat Yisharim. Do you learn the Silat Yisharim or have you started to learn? After that. Okay, great. Okay, so you know, there's only like one line, but it's the basis of this whole thing. You'll see. So I'm from Chicago originally, made Aliyah 13 years ago to Malia Dumi. Anybody ever hear of Malia Dumi? Good. Okay. I never heard of it before we started looking to really move. Um, in any case, um, pretty normal, whatever that means, a normal growing up Jewish community in Chicago, wonderful family. My father, Michelle, my mom, she should live and be well. Brother, sister, you know, yeshiva day school, yeshiva high school, went to high school to yeshiva Shalavim after, uh, after high school, about 500 years ago. Uh, so it feels like sometimes, but it truly helped form who I became. Um, and pretty much... All along, I would say I was a pretty average kid, except for one thing. I had a terrible problem with anger. Not to the point where I got thrown out of school or anything, but it's usually in private at home as I was growing up. Was that, like, for example, do you know what baseball cards are? Yeah. Baseball cards? Okay, so I had a collection, had is the operative word as a kid. When I got angry, I would slam the door to my bedroom. My mom and dad said the whole house would shake. And I took my own baseball cards and tore them up. I had lots of baseball cards. And today the collection probably worth a fortune. Go figure. Um, and as I got older and I started to drive, I was so desperate to drive that actually just before I turned 16 to get my license, I would sit in my mom and dad's car just to sit for hours at a time. I'd read, listen to radio, a little transistor radio, because I so wanted to drive. Little did I know that that would turn me into a monster. I had terrible road rage, not early on. I was just too happy to drive. You want me to just drive next door to your neighbors and get something? No problem. I'm in the car, I'll drive one foot. I don't care. But as I got older, I found that the road was a, a, a trigger for me. Driving was a trigger. Even as I talk about it, I get a little shaky. Sometimes maybe it's because I had this morning. I woke up really had a number thirteen strength espresso, literally thirteen. If you like, if you like espresso or like strong coffee, talk to me afterwards. I got some good tips for you. Um, but then it, it kind of mushroomed into other areas. Like, how many times do I have to tell you this? Come on, let's go. My response to something. What I told you this already. Or how come the things are downloading? That was late. Right? We didn't computers yet. Um, and. How can you, just thinking and yelling, how could you be so stupid? Which is a word I never use. If I do, by accident, my older granddaughter, oldest granddaughter, she says, Saba, you shouldn't say the word stupid. My daughter taught her, well, thank God. But these were things that were happening that were causing me problems. And then two events happened. I was driving down a road. I assume you think in miles per hour, not kilometers per hour at this point. Okay, I was driving down the road, a main road that had two lines this way, two lines that way. 40 miles per hour, and then side streets that crossed, crisscrossed. And I'm going and driving on my mirror way, probably going 45, 50 because I own the road. And a car zipped across from one side to the other. And in order not to hit him and cause what's called T-bone, uh, I had to smash on my brakes so hard that anything that was in the back seat hit me in the back of the head and hit my windshield. What did I do, Mr. Tom? I looked at my rearview mirror and there was no one behind me. I put the car in reverse. This is all true stories I'm telling. Put the car in reverse and I backed up about 100 feet and I went down the side street to chase him. Not sure what I was going to do when I did. And I saw him. He was about maybe 20, 30 feet ahead of me. I went past him and just like you see in the movies, I got to the intersection, I spun around and I go, went head on right at him. And I looked at him like I'm looking at you. And I saw his face and I was so happy. And I said, what are you doing? You're going to kill yourself. And I didn't care. I honestly didn't care for that moment. I was so out of my mind with rage that I would have gone with a smile because I would have I killed the guy. I might've gotten killed, but I won because I got my revenge. Thank God at the last second, because I'm here, 
I went around him. I probably screamed some things I wouldn't repeat. And I just took off. Probably I was like this. And it, was, and it, made, it destroyed my day. And I was very upset and very angry. And then came April 13th, 1998. April 13th, 1998, I am sitting at an intersection of a main street at a red light and the first car. And next to me, the lane is empty, but I see in my rear view mirror, two cars coming on my right side, jockeying for position. One's cutting this one off, one's, and they come to a stop right next to me. The guy in the second car opens his door, takes out a, like a tire iron, like a piece of metal rod, opens the door to the first car, and it goes like this. And I say, oh my God, he's going to kill him. Thankfully, the guy in the first car had the brains to take off through the red light. I said, odd con. That's it. That's it. Because that's me. I'm either that second car or I'm the first car. I'm either going to kill somebody or I'm going to get killed. My wife becomes a widow. My kids become orphans. My parents bury their child. God forbid. That went through my head. April 13th, 1998. From April 13th, 1998, till this day, I have yelled four times. My youngest daughter, who just got married a few months ago, 27 years old, has never heard me yell. I don't yell. I mean, if I'm in like, you know, trying to make a point, like, why isn't this downloading? I can't like do that, but I don't yell at people. I get angry. You have to get angry when it's appropriate, but I don't express it in this rage. And I found one of the triggers and everything else. Okay, fine, whatever. But it's still, it was there. It's still there somewhere below the surface. It's kind of like being an alcoholic, a drug addict, something. It's always there. When you have an issue with anger, you can control it. You can deal with it. If you ever learned or will learn Tanya, you'll learn about the concept, the difference between suppressing and transforming. So we can yeah. see this also. So, okay, let's move, let's kind of jump ahead. And I was, I was very good and I was very calm and I continued to be calm for years. We made Aliyah and there was a guy who, I, I used to teach Mishayat Yisharim by Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, which I'm not going to give you the whole introduction because you'll get it. It's, it's a book which basically was the main book of the Musar movement of self-introspection and thought and how you improve your life. And I taught it in Chicago a number of times. And when I was here early on, there was a, a friend of mine said, you know, I would really like to learn Mishayat Yisharim with you. And the beauty of the book is you can read it 100, 200 times. And you always get something else out of it. It's relatively short, relatively, but it, it, you get a lot of it. And then I was learning with them. If you don't mind just passing these back, should be enough for everybody, I think, more than enough. I came across a sentence, actually not a sentence even, part of a sentence. And when I was learning with him, he thought I was crazy because I jumped up in the middle of our talk. We were just learning our house. I jumped and said, that's it. That's the answer. He said, what's the question? So let me explain to you. But before I do, let me give you one more mashal or parable. Imagine you're on a train and you're going this direction. The train's heading this direction. Pretend we're going east. And you realize, ooh, I was supposed to go west. So what do you do? You turn around. Right? Does that make any sense? You, you're going east on the train. So on the train, you just turn around. Right? No. What are you supposed to do? You get off the train, get on the other side, and then go the other way. People think that when they want to change their lives, they just have to turn around. It doesn't work that way. It's work. You have to do something. Get off the train. I, I Just parenthetically, I, I'm going to try and talk a little faster, so I don't want to run out of time. So one, yes? Okay. So I actually did this. I heard this, and then I, I actually did it with an audience one time. Um, there was this event that people were trying to raise awareness for something, whatever it was. And I came to it early, and I took... Um, pennies. The original guy that did the story was a dollar bill. I'm not that philanthropic. Uh, actually, it was a 10 odd wrote pieces. And I taped them to the bottom underneath of everyone's chair. And I'm giving my spiel and everything. I said, then I stopped suddenly. I went, get up! Get up! And I'm not telling you to get up. Just sit, sit. get up. And everyone's looking at me like, like, I said, reach under your chair. And everyone reaches under and they feel, and they like, all take out their 10 odd wrote piece. I said, you want to make a difference. You want to make money. You want to help people. You got to get up. You can't just sit there and talk about it. You have to take action. And that's what this is about today. Today is about taking action. But what is it that spurred this whole thing? Take a look at source number one, please. I will read. The where the whole tone of the book kind of changes to a little bit more, not heavy, but more challenging, let's say. Now let's talk about the topic of anger. There's certain type of people who are angry people that they say about such an individual. It's a person who has such horrible anger 
It's as if he worships or, or idolatry. It's the kind of person who gets angry at anything, negative, it's so no, that's done against his will. He gets filled with anger and, 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 and fury. To the point where he's his not even with his heart, not even with him anymore, meaning he's out of his mind. This kind of a person, the guy is so crazed, he would destroy an entire world just to get his way. This is a free translation. He's, he's literally out of his mind. He can't control himself. He can't control his, his intellect. Fine. When I read this, I said, that's it. There's one key word here that, that is the basis of this entire talk. Look at the words again right after the underline. Second line. The person who gets angry of everything, that's done, no. When it's done, something that goes against his desire and his will. That's the beginning of the key. What does this mean? We have a goal in this world. Everyone has different goals. But we have one is Jews, one general goal to do with Son Hashem, to do the will of God. Mitzvot, including with everything, is to the best of our abilities. Everything else is great, but we have to do Ritzono, the will of Hashem. But when a person thinks that the, what he has in this world has to be a Ritzono to his own Ritzon, his own will and desire, and that's the way the day has to go, then he's already lost. I'll give you a perfect example happened to me just now. And this happens a lot. I could buy, I could tell you hundreds of stories like this and you all can recognize stories like this as well. Um, to get here, uh, I could have taken buses. I was talking to Yahoo before, I just walked in the door, taking buses, but my son-in-law said, just take a, the train, get up at Hachalut, take Farbstein down and boom, you're there. Didn't take into account there's construction and there's a big truck going by that's going to spray literally 500 pounds of sand on me as I walk by and all this other stuff. And now, what it, the old me would have probably run after the truck driver, probably gotten killed for it too. But the old me would have said, that's not what I want. I need to get there faster. I need to be there already because I'm very much about time. And, and, and my razón, my need, my desire, until I realized, of course, I got here exactly when I was supposed to. I don't mean the five to 12. I mean, when Hashem wanted me to be here, the Ratzon HaKadosh Baruch Hu was that I would be at the place where I was going to be at that moment, not one second earlier and not one second later. When we start to think, and we start to not think, but we start to act in a sense of anger, it prevents us from doing Ratzon Hashem because we think it's about us. We have Ratzonot. We have desires. We have to. We can't be there sitting. Let's see. What do you want to do? I don't know. I don't have a desire. It's going to be whatever God wants me to do. Let him send me a sign. Well, he did, Einstein. It's called the Torah. Right? Follow it. Yeah. And when you start with costs and understand that cost is the root, it's hard work for me to say in English, like most people I'm from Chicago, we say root, and people laugh. So sorry. Anyone here from Chicago? Huh? Rachel's my niece, my brother's daughter. Yes. What's your last name? Um, Shopsai's relative. Rabbi Shopsai Wolf's relative. Okay. Okay, just curious. Um, so the cause, and we'll see, is basically the root of the inability to do mitzvot properly. Because in order to do the mitzvah, my mind has to be on the mitzvah. I have to be focused. When I take my mind off because of anger, it's not just that I'm angry and thinking of something else. We said that it's ki'ilu oved avodazarat, as if he's worshiping idols. It doesn't mean he is, chasachalil. It means it's like, what does that mean? When I'm going head, head on, right to some other driver to smash his car head on, I was absolutely out of my mind. At that moment, it's like I'm worship, I wasn't worshiping an idol, but it was, like, it was the same thing. I could have done that too, because I didn't have any control of my emotions. I didn't have any control of my intellect, and I did whatever my desire was, and that was to smash that guy to smithereens and thank God I did. So first thing we need to do is to understand what are the hashlachot, the, the effects of anger. What does it cause? So I'm going to read to you four things. It's not on the sheet. Four things. 
That's one we already said. That whoever gets angry is as if he's worshipped idolatry or idols. Second, whoever gets angry, if he's wise, he forgets his information, he forgets stuff. Three, it's a little bit more um, transcendental or whatever the word is. Whoever gets angry, now we're not just talking about, oh, get upset, I didn't get the right coffee. Um, it's that his neshama gets transformed with a different neshama. That's in the Arizal. I'm not going to touch that one. And the last one, number four, kol whoever gets angry, kol Any Many kinds of Gehenim or hell rule over him. Now, these are, there are many statements throughout Midrashim and Gemara about anger, the cause of what happens with anger. We need to understand these statements. I'm going to go very briefly over each one. First of all, we say, as I said, first one, a person is not actually serving idolatry or idols when they get really, really angry, but they have the capacity to because they have lost their senses and their ability. But why have the Avodazara of all things? Say, maybe it's he broke Shabbat, he didn't put him on mezuzah, whatever. Because what you're doing is you're re- completely rejecting the Moshel or the Sholeh. You're, you're rejecting the ruler. You're rejecting the control. What's the control? Hashem is the control. Right? He's got the remote control, so to speak. And what we've done is we've grabbed it from him and say, I'm in control now. Well, when we've taken away the, 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 the shalit, we've taken away the one who's the rule, then we think that we are that we can do what we want, and then we've taken another quote, lowercase g God into our hands. How do we know the Chokhmah? Leaves is a whole story about Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm not going to get into it. The longer I would do it, but I'm not going to do it now. Moshe Rabbeinu, we have three or four situations where you, and some of you may know that he forgot the halacha. He knew it and he forgot and he had to because he got angry. Where did he get angry? You remember? By the, hitting the rock. Very good. He also feigned anger, or maybe didn't, by the, uh, the Egel Hazab, the golden calf, all kinds of great stories with that. What does it mean his neshama, this is more of an esoteric level, his neshama is exchanged? Um, we, we, many people think of neshama, the soul, as a one-for-one. I'm a person, I have one soul. It's probably not accurate. It's an amalgam of souls. Uh, and not only that, we also get an extra neshama, and you know, for Shabbat, when some people, most people don't know, you get what's called an ibur neshama. When you're going through a tough time, and think back, when you went through something really tough, and suddenly, you just, something happened, you were able to get through it. Now, we believe that somebody who had dealt with something and that no longer is in this world, that part of the neshama comes to help you, you get pregnant, so to speak, with that neshama, so to speak, and then the neshama leaves you. But it's there because Hashem wants to give you that extra push. So when a person gets filled with anger, the neshama can be all all mixed up, and who knows what happens to that person. The one about the culmination, the idea that, all kinds of Gehenna or hell rule over him is kind of obvious because it happens a person is angry and they sin and it causes all kinds of other problems and then you end up needing to be buried with fan and pajamas that are really short. So anyways, um, let's understand. Okay, we should understand what anger is. Again, very briefly touched on what anger is, what it can cause, what it does to my mind, what it does to me, what a person physically and there are, here's an interesting fact, by the way, it's popped into my head. I remember hearing this, it's not in, the, in my notes. In the Torah, when, when the Torah, which speaks anthropomorphically, meaning it uses and attributes human quality to Hashem, when it says God got angry, because God doesn't get angry, he doesn't get tired. There's, there's no, we use those words, Hashem does it, Torah speaks in the way the humans can understand. So it says God got angry. Anyone remember a couple of the expressions that Torah uses? Anyone remember? No? Say again? Wrath, but in Hebrew. Any any idea? Af Hashem, right? What's an af? Knows. What God knows at B'nai Yisrael? So scientists have shown by hooking people up, I don't know how these things work, hooking people up, when they cause someone to get angry, the very first part of their body, physiologically, there's a change to the tip of the nose. Tell the flare of the nostrils, we know that concept, right? So it says by af, we see that after it comes from. So there are physiological, actual physical changes that happen to the body when you get angry. 
Again, I want to put in parentheses, do not walk away from here and say I should never be in. It's not true. You're allowed to get it. You need to, because otherwise you're going to go through something. I used to, I'm going to use this science. Poor prop. I'm going to use it anyways. Okay. I took a, I, 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 I teach. I was a rabbi in the shul, which I grew up. I grew up in the shul for 25, 30 years, whatever. And then I became the rabbi of the shul. And then made aliyah. And the last 10 years in Chicago, the rabbi of the shul taught in high school, taught in, I call it grammar school. Yes, so the elementary school. Here I teach in high school. And, and I had a kid here a few years ago. And what made me think of this, that I said, he was having all kinds of problems, emotional problems. And he, he was called once again into the office. And I sat down with the principal and I said, I'll be right back. I ran out. Now, Chicagoans know this, you drink pop. You don't drink soda. <laughs> Everyone else drinks soda. We drink pop. So deal with it. I went and I bought a can of pop from the machine. I took it into the room and he looked at me like this kid. He was 13, 14. I shook it up like crazy. I put it down. I said, do me a favor, open that. He looked like, what? He's like, what are you crazy? I said, no. And I took it again. I shook it even more. I said, open it. He says, it's going to explode. I said, exactly. What you're going through right now, all this inner turmoil, all you need is one little thing to set you up. And that's what happened today. You need to deal with it. You need to talk about your emotions. Okay. So if you don't think that anger affects you, it does. Sometimes latently, you don't even realize it. Very hidden inside. And then all of a sudden, all you need is one little thing. Someone says the wrong thing and you're in tears, you're crying, you're all upset about something. And it wasn't decided. What about the flip side? Serenity. How do you, what is serenity? How do you move to serenity? What does that even mean? So let's take a look at the Ramban, the source number two. He wrote, he was a prolific author. He also wrote commentary on the Torah and many other things. <clears throat> and one of his more famous writings is the Igeret Ramban. He wrote a, a short E-P-I-S-T-L-E, pronounced epistle, I believe, that is a letter to his son about how to act. So just at the beginning. I'm going to read it kind of quickly and I'll translate. Talk nicely to people at all times. And you'll be saved from anger. This is the beginning of this letter. Because it's a terrible character trait that causes people to sin. As Rabbi say, Continue, continue. Last, second to last line, beginning line, it says, When you're saved from anger, what will that infuse you with? Humility. It's the best character trait. He says, the worst character trait is anger. The best, humility. What does that mean to be humble? I'll give you an example. When Moshe Rabbeinu, it says he was the, he was the most humble of all people. Do you think he'd go to his tent and I go, Zeyizmir, Zipora. I am like the stupidest guy that ever walked the face of the surf. I am so, I never accomplished anything in my life. Do you think that was made him an enough? Absolutely not. He knew exactly who he was. He knew what he accomplished, but he understood that absolutely everything he accomplished was only because Hashem gave him the power. There was a commentator in the United States, very controversial man on the radio, um, didn't particularly care for his politics, but he one line that he introduced the show with every day that I loved. His name is Rush Limbaugh. The name he says this is Rush Limbaugh with powers on loan from God. I thought that was a great line it's, it's because that's how we are. That's why we refer to Hashem in plural. You, you ever think about that? Hashem's name, one of the names is Elohim. It's plural. Right? We use the word Elohim all the time, but it's plural because the word El Alaflam it means power. And Elohim means powers. Not that Chas Hashem is more than one source of power, but that all powers, the fact that I can go like this, the fact that you can sit and walk and breathe, and every power of the, the fly that's flying around my ear this morning when I'm waiting for the bus, that's all because of Hashem. So the Ramban's telling us that of all the of all the actions, of all the things that we could do bad, the character traits, the worst one is that we exhibit anger. By the way, you're going to see. Sometimes um, one of the, uh, actually, we'll use this one second. There is a, just right here, you don't want to see much. There's a, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, not process. Something with people do public speaking. You can do A, B, C, D, E, or you do what's called the H. Anyone know what that is? Ever hear that? Okay, you talk about something. You talk about something else that's seemingly not related, and then you connect. Right. Okay, so today's the H. Um, I say that because sometimes people say, like, you're talking about anger, why are you talking? So now we talk about anger. Let's talk a little bit about the flip side, about the serenity. Now take a look, please. 
Um, the self edit, just a second. How do you avoid anger? How do you avoid it? A person's an angry person. So one of the first things you need to do, obviously, we haven't talked about going from anger to serenity yet, but how do you avoid it? So you have to recognize triggers, very much like a person who is addicted to something. Like for example, if I were, I'm not, but if I were an alcoholic, probably the worst job to have would be a bartender. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I think it'd be a pretty bad job to have if I was trying to get off of alcohol. So you have to recognize your, your, your triggers and to understand what we started with, which is the concept of Ratzon, that every single thing that happens in this world is Ratzon Hashem. Now here, listen, if you've heard nothing else, listen to this next couple of sentences, please. When we accept Ratzon Hashem, is what happens is that is what's meant to be. It goes a long way to help keep me calm. The fact, and I didn't, the fact that I missed the bus yesterday, the fact that I missed the bus the other day, it was meant to be. The fact that I didn't get into such a school, it was meant to be. That was Ratzon Hashem. The fact that my daughter still doesn't have a shit for 30 years old, it's a hard one for me to wrap my head around personally, it's Ratzon Hashem. That's Hashem's will. Do I want her to get her? Does she want to get her? Of course she does. But it's so Hashem that she doesn't have a fatan yet. What is going on around you, what happens to you, is Ratzon Hashem. How you react to that is your Bechirach That's how you serve Hashem. What do I do with what happens to me? Again, I can tell you story after story after story, and you'll see, if you get the book, you'll see there's actually one or two in there like that, of things that didn't go my way. And I saw clearly why I had to be where I had to be at that moment. You're, you are serving Hashem with your Ratzon when you, when, when you follow Hashem's Ratzon. When you accept that what happens, you don't have to like it. I really wanted to be on that bus, really. I wanted to have that object, but I don't have it. But when you say, okay, fine. It's, it's, it's on Hashem. It goes a long way to calming you down and thinking about, but what about, what are the greatest triggers? One of the greatest triggers about anger is time. I imagine in your families, you have people who are absolutely on time and people are notoriously late and they tend to marry each other. <laughs> I did. Yes. Right. If I'm not early, I'm late. I knew I was a few minutes early, but I was, to me, I was very late today because I like to come in, but not hot and not that. Okay. But that's the way it is. And it's getting kids off to school in the mornings. It's traffic on the way to work. It's standing in line at the store. By the way, if you're ever in the store where I am, stand in the other line, not my line. Because I'm always, is one person ahead of me and 30 in the next line, they're done before mine. Always, always, right? Always happens like that. Downloading stuff on a computer, on your phone, when you definitely just need this, to have the, the reception, now is when it comes out on you. But probably the most bullet, the most pronounced place where there's a problem and pressure of time is Arab Shabbat. Whether Shabbat comes in, anyone here from London or somewhere far north? Okay, so it could come in at 11 o'clock at night, 10 30 at night. Or if you're in, let's say, the Midwest of the United States and you're in, in wintertime, it's coming in 3 55 in the afternoon. Does it make a difference? There is it's never enough time. Never enough time to get ready for Shabbat. It seems that way. Now, why? Why is Arab Shabbat a trigger for anger? Because unfortunately, I'm sure all of your homes, Arab Shabbat, peace, tranquil, <laughs> and there's not a, no one raises their voice, and there's not a shred of anger ever. But that's not the real world. <laughs> real world is, you know, people get worked up. You put the most of stuff away. Why, where's my dress? Why, blah, 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 blah. There's a general rule that says um, that the more important something is, the more the Yitzhahara works against you. The more important something is, the more the Yitzhahara works against you. So because Erev Shabbat is so important, because whether you like it or not, candlelighting comes, or wherever the, the, the time for Shabbat comes and Shia comes, that's it, it's Shabbat. It doesn't wait for you. El Shalom. Okay, I learned this in high school. Anybody here ever hear of Omar Kayyam? Is the Rubiat of Omar Kayyam. It's a poem. It's very long. It's like 70, 80 stanzas. Like one short one. The moving finger writes. Think about it. The words are very simple. It's a little bit stilted English, but it's, it's cool. The moving finger writes, and having writ moves on. Nor all your piety, nor wit, nor sorrow shall call it back to cancel half a line 
nor all your tears wash out a word of it. I learned that in high school. It's one of the few things I remember. What does it mean? Time doesn't wait for you. And if you and something happened, it's in the past. You, you can cry about it, but except for Chuba, of course, it, it happened. Time is unidirectional. It goes only one direction. So Shabbat is coming. And the fact is that there's a cloud, that it's so important. Now, why is Arab Shabbat so important? Because Shabbat is coming? Let's think about that for a second. I'm skipping number three. Let's go to number four. We say Friday night in the Chadogi. By the way, if you ask somebody, it's not a trick question. Ask people, what is the Chadogi about? Everyone will say Shabbat. It's not. Ask people what Mizmon Shil Yom Shabbat is about. Shabbat. It's not. At least when you read it on the surface, it's not. The Chadogi is more about Yerushalayim and a little bit about Shabbat, but okay, that's another sheet. This pasuk, which means, let us greet the Shabbat, let us go and greet her. She is the source of blessing. Is the idea of the special status, unique status of Shabbat. It was zochaid, it merited a blessing from the Creator. That one's critical. It means the piyut of the Chadodi, this poetry, this poem tells us the source of all bracha for the upcoming week is Shabbat. How you treat Shabbat, how you act on Shabbat, how you keep Shabbat, how you greet Shabbat. Every single part of the bracha you get during the week, it says, Mekor ha-biracha, is the source of your blessing. Hamidrash mitzayin, on the second side, Hamidrash mitzayin. I tell you to turn around, I don't. Not talking about Olam Haba, the next world, physical, physical um, shefa, abundance. The word gashmius, which I'm sure you've heard, isn't a dirty word. What does it come from? Geshem. Geshem is rain. Without Geshem, we don't have physicality in this world. It's our source of water. But it can be a bad word, too. It was gashmi. But is there a source of our physical gashmiut? Bracha hi hashem. Sorry, when it says the bracha Hashem, he'll make you rich. It means through Shabbat. Skip down to the underline. Every bracha that we get has to do and is connected to Shabbat. How we work with Shabbat. When you start to understand that you stay away from your triggers. First, you have to figure out what your triggers are. And you have to understand that the time is one of your enemies, how you deal with that, how you plan a little bit better if you couldn't plan before, how you think about it, thinking about the fact that the Ratzon Hashem is the Ratzon that you have to work by. It says in Pirkei you should make your will his will. Whatever you want means it's whatever Hashem wants. You'll sometimes see a husband and wife say to each other, well, what do you want? Whatever you want is fine with me. What you're doing is not crafting the buck. You're not just saying, I can't make a decision. You're saying, look, you, you uh, whatever you want is fine. I'd love to have what you want to have. That's what we want to do with Hashem. But we want to serve Hashem and we want to follow what Hashem wants. So we want to follow his Ratzon. And again, just open the Torah, open the, the Chumash and learn every single day, which you can just a little bit more. And you feel that and understand that when something doesn't go your way, meaning your ratzon, understand how you have to then deal with it. How you deal with it, say, it's Hashem's will. It's simple to say and hard to put into practice. Trust me, it's taken years to get where I am. Literally years. Doesn't mean that if you have an anger issue, you can never get over. You can. I still find myself sometimes, I borrow my dollar's car sometimes. I still once in a little feel in traffic, but I say to myself, back off. No, you, get cut. you learn to deal with it. Make your ratzon his ratzon. Understand your triggers. And whether it's time or something else, look, to, look at the mouth in the face and start to face, to face up to it. Understand what Shabbat is, how you can Im- Im- impact your entire upcoming week, how you can change the face of your life and how you deal with Shabbat. You know, we, we go this time of year, we actually pour ourselves extra little, our hearts out to Hashem. I want this, I want this, I want, and we're supposed to. We're supposed to daven to Hashem. Show Hashem, where, where's our proving ground? Well, right away we have Sukkot, right? The sukkah, the, the, everything we're going to do, but that's a week. 
What about everything after that? We have Shabbat every single week, like clockwork, just about every seven days. We have Shabbat. It's coming up. It feels like it's a week away, but it's only a couple of days away because it's already Wednesday. When we understand that approach, that we can get away from cause, but not just that, but what cause does to us. If you have a chance, should we source number three on your own? Because I don't have the time for it. That's what we sell a lot to. Um, the, the, what the cost does to us physically, emotionally, spiritually, and worst of all, how it affects our Avodat Hashem, how we serve Hashem, it makes a massive change and it can bring calmness. Imagine for just a minute that something really bad just now happened, probably did, somewhere in Nigeria. Now, I don't wish anyone harm there, God forbid, but does that make a difference right now, unless it's God forbid, some of you know in your life? No, it's a horrible thing that probably happened, that might have happened, doesn't affect you. And when you have this aspect of, okay, that happened. Okay, that's what Hashem wanted. That makes a big difference to bring a level, a level of calmness and serenity in your life. And then what you should do, what you need to do, you can do with a little bit more grace and hopefully finesse. Um, tough. Let me just see here. No, no. Okay. Last comment now, just talk a couple minutes about the book. Ahavat Hashem, love of God. Ahava, or love, is a two-way street. Imagine I come up to you, you, you call the police, and rightfully so, I come up to you at a bus stop and say, love me. Okay, right. okay. get that creep out of here. Okay, what do you mean Hashem commands us an emotion to love? Because every time you realize in our davening, it always says, oh, and Hashem loves us. He says, I want a relationship with you. That's all I'm asking. Come to me. how great a relationship would a husband and wife have if he loves her and she doesn't, if she may love him, but never expresses, or vice versa, or it's a birthday. Hey, pff, here's your gift. No, wrap it, hand it over, nice hug, happy birthday, whatever it might be. Show you care. That's the love, that's the giving. That's the Bitson Hashem. Hashem wants a relationship. We think in terms of relationship, husband, wife, parent, child, brother, sister, you know, nieces, nephews, uncle. But the relationship, the greatest relationship we can have is with Hashem. Is that's the model for all of our relationships. How a child, by the way, how a child perceives his or her parent at a young age, very often is how they grow up to perceive God. If they perceive their parent as a loving, caring, giving individual, that's how they perceive God. Why? Because as a child, you are God. To some of my kids, I am. Not so much. I'm not sure. Um, because what do you get? What do they give you? The parent gives the food, the clothing, the shelter, the, everything. Everything. That's what God gives us. Ask someone, what is Hashem? What do we have to thank Hashem for? There's a one-word answer. Everything. There's nothing we have that's not because of Hashem. And when we start to think about that, that also helps bring a sense of calmness and serenity. Because if I don't have it, means Hashem doesn't want me to have it. I'm going to segue for just a few minutes into this. I mentioned that I was um, the Rav of a shul in which I grew up, um, born and bred in Chicago. Davin at the shul from the time I was 10 until I was in my 20s, got married, lived in a different neighborhood, came back to the same neighborhood, continued davening there. So I was in the shul most, a very large part of my life. Um, the, the rabbi retired, they hired a new one, it didn't work out. And this is the very brief version. And then I decided I didn't want to be the rabbi of a shul, just if this one, when I grew up and never needed a rabbi, I would put my hat in the ring. We started with 12 candidates, Baruch Hashem. I ended up becoming the rabbi. It was a great 10 years, great shidduch. I loved doing it. And I still had the opportunity in my dad not officially, but uh, unofficially, to work in the rabbi world. It's great. And my first first year as rabbi, now anyone who ever has, if you have a rabbi in your family or relative is, you know that when you're a shul rabbi, that when it comes to the Amin Raim, that's the like the, the C, Sin Yud Aleph, like the, the top, the Zenith. Like you have a lot of speeches to prepare. And you'd better be good because that's where you have more people in Shul and people are looking for a message. And I was thinking about my first Yom Kippur. I started in June. My first Yom Kippur would be a couple months later. And I said, what am I going to do for Yom Kippur? People come to Shul. Okay, they know. Do tshuva. Say I'm sorry. Okay, blah, blah, blah. I don't mean to minimize it, but I need something different. So I had this idea my first year. I said, you know what? I'm going to give people a visual. I'm going to give them three things that I actually myself either saw, was aware of, that were powerful images and the lesson that we can learn from them. And people liked it, so I did it the second year. 
and by the third or fourth year, people kept saying, you know, they liked it. And by that point, they were asking me, what are your images this year? They'd ask me in the summer, I said, well, we'll see on Yom Kippur. And after 10 years, I came, had three images each year, 30 total. And I wrote a book. Um, I'll give you, I won't give you the background right now to the whole writing part to run through some interesting hoops. But I self-published a book called The Three Images. What I'd like to do, it's taking about three minutes. Every single story in here is short, two pages, page and a half, two pages. But they're hopefully deep stories that make you think. And I even say in the introduction, don't read the book. I have friends who've read it straight through, and then they go back and they read it. Someone just read it on Rosh Hashanah straight through. And she says, now nah, i got to go back and start all over again because you, know, you miss stuff. Um, and things that either, again, either I saw, I went through, or I'm aware of. I want to read just one. Some of them are very personal, like I had two guns to my head. That was pretty intense. Almost died in a plane crash. Uh, all those kind of fun stuff. But I do want to read this one here. It's called My Zadie's Watch. Um, I will read this. Um, it, it, again, it's the same model. It's a story with the message. The final image is My Zadie's Watch. Although I grew up in Chicago, much of my family, including my maternal grandparents, lived in Toronto. We saw each other two or three times a year at most, but the relationship between them and our Chicago family was a close one. In the days before internet, email, and cell phones, our method of communication was letters and occasionally a phone call. While we all built a strong relationship with them, I was especially close to my Zaidi, Shmular and Posner, Zichonoli Bracha. In May of 1973, the inevitable happened. My Bubby, my grandmother passed away. Then in February of 74, my Zaidi passed away. I was devastated by the death of my Bubby as she was the first person close to me who had died. But with the death of my Zaidi, I was crushed. It was the end of an era on my mother's side of the family. Although I was only 15 years old, there was a gaping hole in my heart that I felt would never heal. My family flew to Toronto for my Zaidi's funeral. From the airport, we went straight to his apartment. I began to look around the rooms. I could hear his voice, feel his love, and see his mark everywhere. Then I walked into his bedroom. On his bed was the clothing, and I realized, was his clothing, and I realized that those were the last things he had worn on this earth. Next to his clothing was his watch. I picked it up and I held it in my hand. It was at that moment that I felt the gravity of his loss so acutely, and I began to wail inconsolably. I held his watch in my hand for what seemed like an eternity, and I cried like never before. I did not want to let go of it. As a matter of fact, for some inexplicable reason, it was as if I couldn't let go. Perhaps in my youthful mind, letting go of his watch was like letting go of Zadie. Over the past many years, I've thought back to that day and that moment. What was it about that watch and how had I become so close to my grandfather who lived nearly 850 kilometers away? As I got older, I understood that the watch represented time my Zadie was here on this earth. And at the moment when he died, his time stood still. In a certain sense, so did mine with all the memories of him frozen in time. But what about the long distance between us and the infrequent visits. How was it that in spite of the distance and separation, we had become so close? Then it dawned on me, love doesn't know any distance. No matter how far apart we were, it was love that bound us together. While there was a physical distance between us, there was absolutely no spiritual distance between us. I took this idea to the next step. And that is why the, the reason why his watch is the third image. The same is true for our relationship with Hashem. In the times of the Beit, we had a Beit Hamikdash, a temple. We visited Hashem three times a year through the mitzvah of Aliyah Regel, or pilgrimage. Nowadays, some see him frequently, while others see him infrequently. However, for all of us, Hashem is not physically present. And in that sense, he is very distant. In a spiritual sense, he is very close to us. Love knows no distance. Hashem is always with us and as close as we choose. It is essential to realize that Hashem is as close to us as we let him be. That is what I learned from my Zadie's watch and what I think about on Yom Kippur. Let us remember that we are always under Hashem's watchful gaze. Let us remember to think about our shortcomings and how to change them to positives. We must always keep in mind that Hashem loves us, loves our efforts, always sees our positive deeds and embraces us with fatherly love. And finally, let us remember, love knows no distance. That's the story. Um, anyone who might be interested, if that's okay, yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I'd sell the book. It's 50 shekel. You can do uh, rubles, <laughs> cash, check, pay box, bit, PayPal. So if you're interested, I'd sign the book. And uh, yeah, the book is free. The signature is 50 shekel. <laughs>
Uh, and it's not, and, and perfectly fine if you just want to walk out. It doesn't hurt my feelings. So, yes, question? So, yeah. Yeah, like, how did you balance being a rabbi it's a great question. If you didn't hear, she said, how did you balance being a rabbi and overcoming the anger issues? It was just before I became a rabbi. It was 1999 I became a rabbi. The show 1998 once this happened, but I still had to keep it in check. Yeah. Always, to this day. How would you say um, controlling anger? Excellent question. Controlling my anger allowed me to be present. Because there were times when I was with my own kids and I was so angry. My mind was elsewhere. I wasn't helping my kids. I wasn't there for them. I was physically there, but my mind was elsewhere. Like, I'm going to get that guy. I'm going to do this, whatever it might be. And also, honestly, if it came to service of Hashem, because I'm able to focus more. And that's one area. There's like many discussions you could have about how I moved from Ashkenazi to Sparadi 10 years ago. is also one discussion. Um, but it, it, it affected me in many ways. That actually, the root of that change, that Ashkenazi to Sparadi began with the change of anger. Well, I was wondering how. How is that dealing with it? But maybe maybe some people in the room might struggle with anger, but might struggle with a different emotion, which takes them out ah, of emotion. So it's the same, okay, so it's the same idea is first recognizing the triggers. That's the first, first thing. I said, so I teach in, I'm very much into addictions counseling and helping people with that. Um, like, what is it that sets you off? There's a, a, an acronym, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are things that set people off. And you realize, let's say, a person overeats, a person uses drugs, a person drinks too much, drug drinking is a drug. Um, then there are certain things that are very tired, they're susceptible. When they're lonely, they're susceptible. When you see that, and it also is a word, help, to stop and think. Those are uh, just some of the ideas. Hmm? Yes. Whenever you had like the thoughts running, what did you need to stop them? When I had the, the what running? The thoughts. The thoughts running? Early on, it was very hard. It, was, it took time. Um, I'm at the point now, and you're talking 1998 or 2022, 22, 24 years ago, right? I'm at the point now that I'm driving on Kishaka, the main road, uh, let's say Tabi Yushalayim, and someone cuts me over something. I still will do this for one second, but I will literally out loud say, let it go. Back, let it go. Back off. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that. <laughs> I was giving Shabbat Shuvah Drasha a few years ago when, when that movie was very popular. And I used the expression, not even there, let it go. And I just paused. I heard also all these smiles. So I did have to say, let it go. Um, so it, it is, you have to do something to counter it. You can't just do it in here, right? It's like, again, like turning yourself around on the train, going the wrong way. You have to physically do something. For some people, it's a physical action, moving something, taking something, eat it, whatever it might be. That's for me, it's saying something out loud. 